Good morning. I'm not going to say Happy New Year again. Who's on a diet? <laughs> Who's given up already? Yes. Too many mince pies, Rob. That's your out of puff. I think I'll be more out of puff than you this morning, so don't worry. Okay, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to be back together, isn't it? It's really, really good. So, Happy New Year, 2020, start of a new decade, and uh, here we are at the doorway of all that is ahead for us and all that God has got planned for us this year, and isn't that exciting? It's good to come together. So, last week, I took our daughter, Naomi, who's almost 16, to see a production of Les Miserables in Cardiff. Now, I first saw this production in London when I was 16, rolling back about 30 <coughs> years ago. And um, it's hard to believe that now I'm taking my own 16-year-old to see it. That's how good a production it is. That's how long it's been running. So, my claim to fame this morning is I went on a trip with our local youth theatre. I'm from Llanelli and was part of the local youth theatre there. And our friend John was a great guy from Burryport. He was the butcher's son. And he had what you call raw talent. And he was a brilliant singer. When he sang, you had goosebumps and you had a shiver down your spine because he had this amazing voice. He wasn't trained professionally. He was just one of the gang. Anyway, it turns out that he went on to play Jean Valjean in Les Miserables, the butcher's son from Burryport, our friend John from Youth Theatre. And he's been a long-standing um, Jean Valjean in London. He's played it on Broadway as well. And he has also played Phantom. And I went to see him in Phantom a few years ago. And we went into to the stage door and into his dressing room at the end of the show to see him. And there were all these pictures on the wall of him with famous people like Mel Gibson and, uh, you know, um, Bruce Willis and various other Americans usually because they love theatre, don't they? And they were all coming to have their photos taken with John. And it was amazing and it feels so proud of him, you know, this fellow friend from Flanelli. And uh, he has just finished playing Jean Valjean in London last week, and he's just flown out to Shanghai, and he's going to be playing Phantom out there in China for the foreseeable future. So he's done really well. So, in a minute, turn to the person next to you and tell them of a person that you know that's famous. It could be a very tenuous link, or it could be somebody in theatre, film, news, or whatever. Off you go. Okay. We obviously know a lot of famous people between us, don't we, compared to the, uh, the amount of chatter that's in the room. How exciting. I'd be really interested to know who you know later on. Okay, so the story of Les Miserables is basically a story of hardship. And it is written by a man called Victor Hugo, and he based the story in 19th century France. And during the time, France was going through extreme hardship. There was persecutions, uprisings, revolutions. There was lots of poverty and lots of hardship. And basically, the story, I, when I saw it first of all, I kind of got the gist of the story. And it was the musical score and the songs that lived with me. But when I went to see it last week, I realised that the heart of the gospel is weaved right through the story. It is the very core of the story. And it's an amazing story of God's love forgiveness, the grace and the mercy and the fact that God is a God of second chances. And it's a story of a man called Jean Valjean who basically is caught stealing a loaf of bread for his sister's starving child. 
He is thrown into prison and after 19 years, he is let out on parole. And because of the nature of his convictions, it was very difficult for him to then go and find good, paid, honest work. And so who would want to take on an ex-con? And so he was kind of forced back into stealing. And one night, a very kind man, a godly man, a bishop actually, offers Valjean board and bed for the night. And so we see this wonderful exchange of grace and love and mercy that this gentleman shows Jean Valjean. But in the middle of the night, he sees an opportunity and he steals the silver from the church, from the bishop, and he flees. But he is caught and he is brought before the police and the police bring him back to the church and back to the bishop. And we see this amazing discourse between the bishop and Jean Valjean. And we see this amazing scene of God's mercy and grace. And the fact that this man extends his hand to Jean Valjean, giving him a second chance. And he says to the police, the silver items in his bag are not stolen, but they are gifts. And he then gives to Jean Valjean, but why did you leave these gifts? Surely the most valuable. Why did you forget them? And we see this amazing discourse that takes place. And this is the part in the audience where everyone starts to cry and everyone gets goosebumps because you think, wow, that is amazing. And so the police go and Jean Valjean is a free man. And the, the sort of vicar, uh, the, the, the bishop, in a way, sort of says through song to Jean Valjean, use this opportunity to give your life to God. Be transformed. Do something good with your life. Turn around. Let Jesus, you know, forgive you and heal you and have a plan and a purpose in your life. Come to God and basically set your life on a new direction. And it's amazing then we see Jean Valjean's life begin to be transformed. And through the story, without giving any spoilers away, we then see how his life extends to others with love and grace and mercy and practical support. And so it's a wonderful story of transformation about the redemption of God. And the funny thing was, the day before I went to see this show, you know what it's like over Christmas, it's busy. You know, for a lot of people it can be busy. People come in visiting, etc. And a couple of afternoons that was quiet and I thought I really need to tackle those jobs. You know those jobs that we put off? So I thought, I know I'm going to tackle the family silver. Now you might think, oh, do you live in a palace? Well, actually, no, I don't. I live in Pentlegare. But I have acquired a lot of silver-plated items in my life. And I remember an aunt of mine would spend days, you know, on a regular basis, laying out newspaper over her dining room table and polishing the silver on the brass. Anybody have brass and silver in their house that they spend a day cleaning? Or is that a bit of an old-fashioned thing now? Yes, it is. I am a bit old-fashioned. So anyway, I set about trying to clean the silver, and nothing would clean it up. And so I hunted high and low for this product that my aunt used to use called Silvo. It didn't hardly get sold. All the way, all the old people are saying, yes! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> and so I was amazed at how this product worked. So my silver was tarnished and tainted and grey and dull and lifeless, stuck in a box in a cupboard for years and years and years. And when this product was um, set to work upon it with a little bit of elbow grease, I was absolutely amazed at the results and how fantastic this silver came up. It came up like new. It was glimmering, shiny, 
absolutely stunning. And it went from this tainted, tarnished, dull, lifeless bit of tin into this vibrant, wonderful, sparkling piece of precious metal. And it kind of got me thinking that when our lives before we come to know Jesus are a little bit like that, aren't they? Like that old silver that's tainted and tarnished by the world. And all of the characters in Les Miserables were sort of affected and tainted by the effects of living in a fallen world. And so are we in a way. But when we come to Jesus, he makes us anew. He doesn't just clean us up and give us a good cleaning job, but he actually transforms us. He changes our life. He makes us anew. He sets us apart for him. And we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new comes. And we can live for God, sparkling and shining in this world for him, just like those lovely shiny candlesticks. And so I want to encourage you this morning to, um, if you've never experienced that sort of transformation of knowing Jesus personally for yourself, then I want to give you that new opportunity, that opportunity that sets your life in a new direction. And we're going to chat about some of those things. And as I was praying about this morning, about what to bring, I really had this picture in my mind of arrows going in a new direction and the words new directions. And that is one opportunity that if we've never known Jesus, our life can go in a very big new direction with his plan at the core and the center of our lives. He gives us life now, the promise of eternity with him, forgiveness and a wonderful life with him here on earth, knowing his love and his grace and his mercy in our lives. Now, one of the things that the bishop gave to Jean Valjean was value. He was a downtrodden man. You know, he had no hope there and then. And yet we see this love and this compassion and this value that the bishop gives to Jean Valjean. And that is a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know that we are valued, to know that we are loved, and to know that God has a plan for us. And so, It's so powerful that, you know, he mattered to God and we matter to God. He has shown that he places value on us, high value, by giving us his son, Jesus, to forgive us for the mess-ups that we have done by paying that price that he did on the cross when he came 2,000 years ago. And so... Value is such an important thing. People are looking for value today. People don't feel valuable. But when we come to Jesus, we know we are of high value to him. And in God's eyes, we all have value. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people, it says in Psalms. And it says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, people who've done things wrong, said things, thought things wrong, Christ died for us. And so each and every one of us have this amazing value on our lives. Now, a person's value has no relationship with his or her position in society. Many people who excel in God's work often begin in poverty or humble beginnings, and God supersedes the social orders of this world. The real value of a person is on the inside. And so we see Jean Valjean's life transformed, and he in turn plays his part in extending that same grace, that same mercy, that same love, and practical support to those in need around him. And so the story unfolds. And so this year, when we consider, you know, new directions, one, if you've not 
ever received Jesus as your sort of personal friend and father and forgiver, then I want to give you that opportunity today. But also in a new direction, sometimes in the way we think. I don't know about you, but sometimes people struggle with the way they think, with their thoughts. And I want to encourage you right at the start of this year to set your thoughts and to get your thoughts guided in a new direction that leads to Jesus and is built on Jesus. Our behavior begins in our minds and uh, a simple prayer at the start of the day can really help us keep our focus on where God wants our focus to be. Our thoughts can take us in different directions, can't they? They can lead us to good places and they can lead us to dark places. Words and thoughts float through our minds all of the time and some of which are positive and purposeful and some are not. But more often than not, we can too become so self-focused and entertain self-defeating thoughts. I'm not good enough. If only I was different. If only things were different. I wish I knew more. I wish I didn't do that. And on and on it goes and it can be exhausting. And sometimes, especially after coming through a season like Christmas, where we've sort of wound down a little bit and we've had some time and we start to prepare and reflect for the year ahead, if we're not careful, we can sometimes easily lose a bit of focus and succumb to the enemy's attempts to really discourage us. And so I want to encourage you right at the start of this year to really take hold of your thoughts and think about your thoughts and where your thoughts lead you and go in a new direction if that is something you struggle with by taking those thoughts and bringing them to Jesus, ensuring that they lead to a good place. In Romans it says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this helps to train our minds in a way from wandering off in different and unhelpful directions. So I want to encourage you to really listen to the Holy Spirit. And another thing is to think about yourself in the way God thinks about you. And in Jeremiah it says, For I know the thoughts I have and think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. And in John he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And in Psalms it says, The Lord, you forgiving and good, and you abound in love to all who call to you. And so I want to remind you at the start of this year, you are loved, you have value, you belong, and let's set about this year to make a difference, not just in our thoughts, but also in the lives of those people around us. And I love those two words, lavished and abounding. Aren't they wonderful words? That doesn't show God as a scrimpy old God, but that he is a God who lavishly loves us, that he abounds in love. The word lavished means to bestow in generous or extravagant quantities. And the word abounding means plentiful, abundant, in great supply. God's love never runs out. God's love never runs out for you. So let this year be a time of thinking more and more of the truth of God's word and allowing it to direct our thoughts, thoughts that lead to Jesus and get built on Jesus. And think about how God thinks about you. You know, God doesn't think you're useless, you're hopeless. He loves you. He has plans and purposes for you. But sometimes our own thoughts can think negatively. In Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks, so he is. So what we think about is crucial to who we are and it can really affect our day, it can affect our demeanor and it can also affect our relationships. 
And the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. And in Corinthians, it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that means we have a chance to do something about our negative thoughts before they enter into our hearts and become part of our day. When you take something or somebody captive, you don't just let them wander about freely. You tie them up, you put them in prison, and they, you know, they don't just have free, you know, free access to, to all areas. And so the Bible, that word is quite powerful, is to take your thoughts captive, you know, stop, think about them, bring them to Jesus before they affect your day in a negative way. <clears throat> so this year, new directions. The opportunity, if you never have, to come and meet with Jesus, to impact your life, to know forgiveness, and to have an eternity with him. And secondly, if you really struggle with negative thoughts, like we all do from time to time, to redirect and have those thoughts in a new direction that leads to Jesus and is built on Jesus, to really help us in our walk with God and in our day-to-day life. Okay, second claim to fame this morning. Anybody know who this guy is? Woo! If you're from Gosain, then you know who he is. So this chap is my cousin. Okay, my second claim to fame. Yes, I know lots of famous people. <laughs> Only two, actually. So this guy is Colin Jones, and he was the welterweight champion. In, he was the Welsh, the European, and the British, uh, and the Commonwealth champion. Uh, he was a welterweight, and he also represented Great Britain in the 1976 Olympics. He he fought in America a few times, and I can remember as a little girl being woken up in the middle of the night, it was about nine or ten, it was 1983, I think, when my mother said, come downstairs, Sean Collins on the telly. And we used to sit down, and there was my grandfather, because he was one of ten boys, and the gentleman in the photo was my uncle, my uncle Gus, so my grandfather's brother, who was his trainer. And so he went out to America, and some of the brothers went to America to see him fight. But this was a time when the miners were on strike, and it was a really difficult time in Wales, when money was scarce. And so, But thousands of Welsh people went out and flew and paid the £1,000 it was, or whatever it was, to go and support him. It was amazing. <coughs> and so my grandfather and some of his brothers and all the neighbours were all in the parlour, and it was full of smoke, and shouting men, come on, Colin! And he was known as the punch and the gravedigger. That they were his nicknames in in terms, because uh, most opponents didn't go the full sort of length of the match because of his nickname. He had a bit of a good right and a left hook on him. Anyway, so this guy was my cousin. There we are, second claim to fame. So when I was, again, thinking and contemplating about today, the picture I had in my mind was of a boxing ring and a person in the ring punching this punch bag. And what I saw was this person was punching his punch bag, and in the end, the perspiration was running down their face, and their cheek was up against the punch bag, and they were hugging the punch bag and, like, sliding down it in defeat. And what I just sort of just thought was this is like, you know, some of us need to step out of the ring and take off our gloves and let God fight our battles. And this year... If you're in a fight, whether it's with yourself or with God or with people or even people that we love or our past mistakes or our circumstances, I want to encourage you, take off the gloves, step out of the ring and let God fight your battles. In Isaiah it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. 
Let this year be when we stop dwelling on our past mistakes or failures and allow God to do a new thing in us. And in Chronicles it says, God spoke through a man called Jehaziel, who was Zachariah's son, and the armies were pressing in on Jehoshaphat. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all that live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And so we may fight an army, we may not fight an army every day, but sometimes it feels like we're fighting or battling something. And so realize that the battle is not ours, but it's God's. And allow God's strength to work through our fears and our weaknesses and ensure that we are pursuing God's will and his desires for our life, not our own selfish interests. But allow God to take control of the situations that we are in that we can sometimes feel helpless in and trust him. Let our past mistakes be lessons for our future, not a prison we put ourselves in. And that's true, isn't it? Let our past mistakes be lessons for our future, not a prison that we put ourselves in. And so I want to encourage you in 2020 to freshly again experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And in 1 John verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so the start of this new year, the start of this new decade, I want to invite you to come and know Jesus personally for yourself, but allow your thoughts to go in new directions if that is something that we sometimes struggle with. Self-defeating, negative thinking, direct those thoughts to Jesus. Recognize the things in our lives that we keep beating ourselves up over. Hand over the gloves to God and let him fight your battles and allow God to do a new thing in us this year. And so let's be outward looking like Jean Valjean to extend Jesus' love and grace and mercy and practical support to all of those people that we find ourselves rubbing shoulders with. And I want to ask a question. Whose life are you going to affect this coming year? Whose life are you going to affect this coming year? Who is going to be influenced by your life this decade? Let it be a decade of difference where people come to know Jesus because of you, your words, your love, your actions in their lives. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you at the start of this new year and at the start of this new decade. We freshly give our lives to you, Lord, in areas that perhaps we struggled in last year. We come to you right at the start and we say, help us, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe in you, in who you say you are. Help us to believe about ourselves, what you say we are. Help us to live this life for you. Help us to be outward looking. Heal our hurts. Heal our things that uh, affect us, Lord, from the past, whether it's ourselves or mistakes or what others have done. I pray for healing to fill our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our spirits this year. I pray this year would be a year where we would see you, Jesus, move in power in, amongst each and every one of us. Not just here in this building, but Lord, in our offices, in our homes, on our streets, in our classrooms, wherever we spend our time, Jesus, we pray for your anointing, your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, to live for you and make a difference in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.